0: And we finally made it. I I didn't know if we were gonna get here, Gene, but we have finally made it to the college football playoff and Ohio State is ready to redeem themselves for the Clemson game last year. Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, episode 14. I am George Eisner, joined by my co-host, Gene Ross of Land Grant Holy Land. And uh, Gene, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, uh, you and your family, and are looking forward to the new year. How was your holiday? That
1: was pretty good. I hope yours was good as well. Uh, you know, like you said, we weren't sure we'd be here, and if you, uh, you know, we all kind of at the end of the last year's game, uh, last year's fiestable, that didn't end how Ohio State would have wanted. Uh, we kind of expected this game to happen again the next year. We just didn't expect that the road to get here would be as messy as it was, both just in the general world and in the on the field as well. But uh, regardless, like you said, we're here. Uh, the game is is coming up shortly here, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about.
0: Oh, we certainly do. Uh, we're going to try to keep it, you know, between the, uh, you know, on the field specific. We know there's been a lot of, uh, you know, outside topics, not only around this game, but Ohio State football in general uh, this week and last week. So we, uh, there's plenty to talk about, but there's uh, specifically plenty to talk about with respect to how these two teams play football. So uh, over the last week, uh, Gene actually did his first uh, film analysis and did a, did a pretty great job, too, if I say so myself uh breaking down how the uh big 10 championship game went for ohio state's defense and uh, i followed up earlier this week with uh looking at trey sermon and uh how you know ohio state's rushing attack is hopefully going to look against clemson and uh just kind of getting a better sense of how the offense is going to do so we both seem to have a good grip of the uh you know either side of the ball for ohio state relative to how they should do against clemson so we should uh should have some uh, good good insight to share with each other today, so I'm looking forward to doing that, and then you know driving myself mad when the game happens on uh, Friday, and uh, thinking about all the things that needed to go right that we're talking about today that aren't going right, and just being a nervous wreck for 60 minutes. I look very much forward to it. So let's uh, let's get right into it then. I uh, my first question I want to ask you, Gene, uh, just kind of to to get a baseline here is, you know a Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, I think, could make a. You can make a very easy case that that is one of, if not the best, backfield tandem in college football history. It's certainly one of the best. Um, it'll. It would get, I think, you know, much more pronounced if Trevor Lawrence were to, uh, you know, take home the Heisman or something. But it, um, even as we stand right now, Travis Etienne is the leading rusher in ACC history. Uh, he, of course, was the one that. Caught the game-winning touchdown pass against the Buckeyes last year uh, out of the backfield and ran something like 40 yards into the end zone. Very dynamic threat. Probably should be playing in the NFL this year, honestly. And uh, I think you could say the same about Trevor Lawrence. Um, it, you know, consensus is going to be the number one overall pick to probably the Jacksonville Jaguars come April. So my question for you is, relative to Ohio State's defense, who scares you more, Trevor Lawrence or Travis atn yeah, and
1: like you alluded to, you know, I was I was pretty surprised that Travis Etienne returned to school. I don't really know, you know, what that decision was like. I don't know what his. I, I'm assuming his draft stock was pretty good. We saw, you know, guys like uh, Clyde edwards hilaire and J.K. Dobbins both go pretty early last year, and I think tra- Travis Etienne was just as good as both of those guys and could have gone, you know, in the first two rounds. But you know, I, his decision worked out. He's had a great year, like you said, he broke the ACC rushing record, and he's a very good back. But at the end of the day. I think it still comes down to Trevor Lawrence, uh, probably the best player in college football. I don't think he'll win the Heisman, but he's had a a hell of a career at Clemson. Uh, This season, he's completed just over 69% of his passes. He's thrown for over 2,700 yards. He's got 22 touchdowns to just four interceptions. And he's also got 211 rushing yards with seven rushing touchdowns. And that's really the thing about Trevor Lawrence that that makes him so hard to play defense against is that you don't really think about him as this dual-threat quarterback. But at the same time, he really can hurt you with his legs. And Ohio State fans will remember last year that that's exactly how Clemson got themselves back into the game in the Fiesta Bowl in 2019. Ohio State's defense held Travis Etienne to 36 rushing yards a year ago, but Trevor Lawrence had over 100. And their first real big score was on a big rushing touchdown by him, where he just completely burned everyone. uh, Safety took a bad angle, and it was just off to the races from there and and stuff like that is really what makes him so hard to guard because he is such a good thrower and then just adding in that extra aspect with his legs he's not he's not the runner that uh, Justin Fields is he's not the kind of athlete that Justin Fields is but when he when he breaks free he could beat you and that's that's a scary thing to have to guard against with a quarterback that's also as good as at throwing as he is he doesn't quite have the receiver weapons he had last year you know t higgins is gone he's off to the nfl he's having a good rookie year uh they lost justin ross before the season with an injury and uh amari Rodgers has had a good year he's their top receiver but he isn't quite at the level as those two guys were so uh you know he's had a little bit harder of a time i wouldn't say harder of a time but he's had less like nfl caliber weapons i'd say than he had a year ago but th- this offense is still humming you know that they've got guys all over the field they recruit just like ohio state does they've got five stars all over the place and so this offense is scary, and yeah, I think I think Trevor Lawrence is really the guy that they got to lock in on. Ohio State has been really good all year at defending the run. Uh, they had some troubles early against Northwestern, but that was more of like a weird like wildcat and like option plays they got beat on. They didn't really get beat on any just standard inside zone plays or anything like that, but. Their rushing defense has been really good against everyone this year and I expect that to kind of continue against Clemson but they do now have to contend with a quarterback that can both beat you with his legs and through the air and that's something that you know these that's really going to come down to Ohio State's linebacker play and these guys got to be stout they got to make sure they're not you know biting on fakes they got they got to make sure they're in the right spots at all times and it's going to be tough
0: I hope it isn't going to be tough as in tough, Borland. But uh, I, I think that's an accurate assessment. Um, I, I would say ATN still just kind of scares me. Just after the game he had last year, you know, just in the in the receiver role. Um, but yeah, he, he, you know, Clemson's running game hasn't, you know, been. It wasn't the animal that it was. You know, I think in the previous years past, ATN's obviously still excellent. But they're, uh, you know, their their offensive line just was not. They've you know, they it's been you know beefier and better uh, in previous seasons, and it just not they're they're a good pass blocking unit, and I think they also benefit from the fact that uh, Trevor Lawrence actually you know handles pressure pretty well, and you know is a little bit more aggressive with using his rushing ability you know beyond the red zone than I think Justin Fields is. Um, But their, you know, just straight up ground and pound run game really isn't as impressive as it perhaps should have been, particularly when you consider how many games that they took insanely massive leads in this year. Uh, You know, I think that I believe that there was only one game other than the um, game, the two games that Trevor Lawrence missed and the ACC championship. Um, the only game where they went into the half and weren't up by three scores was the Virginia tech game. And that game, they ultimately ended up winning 45 to 10. Um, so they got a nice little test in the first half from Vot tech, but other than that, they haven't really had a, you know, a legitimate, uh, test for their, their running game yet, or really their offense in general. I think, uh, Notre, Notre, well, no, I, I shouldn't say that. I think that, you know, they probably got a little bit more. Uh, I, I I really when evaluating this team, I tried to write off those two games that where they didn't include Trevor Lawrence because I think when you're missing a player like that, it completely reconfigures your game plan on both sides of the ball. And I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the kind of player that can you know drastically affect the script of the game. Um, to your point, that's going to be the one. He's going to be the guy that you know that kind of hinges on and makes it, or breaks whether or how Ohio State's uh, defense performs overall. So I think, you know, last week you probably got a little bit more of an accurate look of, I guess, what their offense looks like against a really good defense uh, when they have Trevor Lawrence. And uh, they played a really good game against Notre Dame. But I would expect, um, as as you said, uh, the dynamic threat that Trevor Lawrence poses uh, I, I think is exactly the kind that really stresses out this Ohio State team who really hasn't had to deal with – too much of a mobile uh, quarterback threat all season. We were kind of wondering going into the Indiana game if Michael Penix was going to use his legs a bit, and uh, he ended up not even really needing to, and just threw for 477 yards. I would uh, sure, I sure hope that Trevor Lawrence doesn't throw for 400 yards himself, because uh, I, I think that that doesn't really bode well for Ohio State. But um, I, I, I think that you are not maybe giving Lawrence a little enough credit as a rusher. I'm not. I don't know if he's been as aggressive this year. I do know that they needed him to score two rushing TDs in that Virginia Tech game for them to definitively get ahead. But he did have one of the most aesthetic rushing touchdowns for a quarterback I've ever seen uh, against Ohio State last year. And I know that – I think it was uh, Josh Proctor missed a tackle on that that would have stopped the – would have prevented that touchdown from happening, but it was still a very – you know Lawrence proved beyond a shadow of a doubt last year that he could be dangerous against absolutely any team uh, he's going up against. So proved that when he beat Alabama, I think, handily when he was a freshman and they won the national championship. So I I would agree with you. Lawrence is uh, definitely the superior threat, but definitely don't count out ATN. And uh, if ATN's having a game, I think that that probably doesn't bode well for Ohio State in terms of chances for success.
1: Yeah, and Ohio State really hasn't had to contend with a team that really utilized their running backs in the passing game all that much. And kind of like you alluded to, he's had he's had a bit of a down year running. I mean, compared to his last two years at Clemson, and we're comparing 15 games through those games because they played the national title and to 11 that they've played so far this year, but he went from over 1,600 yards in each of those seasons to only 882 this year. Uh, he averaged over 7.8 per carry in both of those seasons. He was down to 5.6 this year. And so he's had a slower year rushing the ball, but he's had a lot more of an effect in the passing game. He caught 44 passes for 524 yards this year. He's actually third on the team in receiving. And so I'm interested to see how Ohio State guards that because they haven't really played a team that's had an attack that utilized the running back as much as they do. But, I mean, they did see, like you said, last year they did that. Like, Clemson did use ETN in the passing game in the Fiesta Bowl. And they're going to look to do it again. They've done it all season. And so, I'm sure they, they see that on film. I'm sure they've game planned for it. But we haven't seen what that'll look like. Whether it'll be, you know, Barron Browning or Pete Werner or someone of that ilk uh, matched, matched up with the running back out of the backfield. But... um it's just another, another dynamic aspect of this Clemson offense that they make you game plan for, and it's another reason why they're so good. They have the guys, and they've got a really good offensive game plan, and they put up points. They are third in the FBS with 44.9 points per game this year, so they they got a really, really good offense. And It might not have the stars all around the field like they did last year, but they still they're putting up the numbers.
0: So to that point, who would you say in this game benefits more from a shootout, Ohio State or Clemson? I mean,
1: before before the Big Ten Championship, I would say Ohio State, but after what we saw from the offense uh, in, in the Northwestern game, I'd be a little concerned about Ohio State, especially against a defense of Clemson's caliber. I, I think overall, a shootout would probably benefit Ohio State in the long run, just because Ohio State probably has the weaker of the two defenses, so if both teams are putting up points at will, that probably bodes well for Ohio State, but... I don't think either of these teams are interested in getting into a shootout. I think we will, even though like defense across the board has been down this year in college football, I think we see kind of a similar scoring output that we saw last year, where it was 29-23. I think we might see some more in like the, the mid-30s this time around. Like it, It'll be a little more higher scoring, but it's not going to be... I, I don't expect a game that's played in the upper 40s. This isn't going to be a, a Big 12 matchup breaks out in New Orleans. <laughs> but um I don't think either of these teams are really interested in getting into a shootout. Uh, what is going to be interesting is that uh, for the first half of this game, Clemson will be without... Uh, starting safety Nolan Turner. He's actually the guy that picked off the game-ending pass in last year's game. Uh, He was ejected for targeting in the second half of the ACC title game, so he will be out for the first half of this game. So it'll be interesting to see if Ohio State's offense is able to take advantage of that a little bit, maybe hit some stuff over the top. We know Ohio State's been looking to do that all year. Ryan Day's game plan has has featured a lot of those kind of plays where they try to get Garrett Wilson matched up one-on-one with a safety deep over the middle. And so without Turner out there, maybe they're able to do that early and put up some early points. Uh, obviously, their Achilles heel last year was scoring in the red zone, so if they're able to hit on a big hitter and maybe score from farther out, it makes their life a little easier. They don't have to get into those red zone situations that they've discussed ad nauseum that they've struggled with, and they haven't really executed as well as they would have liked to this point in the season. But yeah, I don't think a, a shootout benefits either of these teams, but I'd say i I'd give a slight edge to Ohio State in that area just because their defense hasn't looked as good as Clemson's has.
0: I think that the game script for Ohio State has to look like what you alluded to with them, you know, being able to put up points early, um, you know, with their personnel absences. And uh, they I mean, they went up early last year and ultimately, you know, didn't end up winning the game. But I, I don't think that they were really at Clemson's defense, I think, was was better last year and better equipped to prevent Ohio State from. Just kind of running clock, whereas I think that this team, um, with with how strong the running game looked in the Big Ten Championship, um, you know the offensive line posting extremely impressive rushing numbers, and uh, you know Clemson does they did return all four of their down uh, starting defensive linemen from last year, but I I do think that if they're able to get an early lead that their path to victory is going to be just kind of holding that lead and and running clock with Trey Sermon and Master T and trying to keep uh, Lawrence and ATN off the field as much as possible. And I think if they're able to do that, that's going to give them a much better shot at victory than if they were get to get into a shootout. And the reason I say that is because I really do not feel great about uh Ohio State's ability to protect Justin Fields in this game uh versus Clemson being able to protect Trevor Lawrence. If you look at um the pass protection numbers that Clemson's offensive line has had this year, they're they're pretty good. Uh they only give up a sack on about three and a half percent of their dropbacks, which is like which is fifteenth overall in college football. Uh, on standard passing downs, that drops down to below th- – or on standard downs, so like first and second down or, or, and long, that drops down to below 3%. And then on obvious passing downs, it goes up a little bit to 5%, but that's still uh, 28th overall. So all three of their major you know, uh, statistics for pass blocking are very, very good in the top 30 for college football. And then you contrast that with Ohio State – And Ohio State is giving up almost triple the sack rate that Clemson is. They're giving up sacks on 9.5% of their non-garbage time pass attempts. That's 111th out of 100 and I think 25 or so college football teams because there are a few this year that aren't playing a season to bring that number up to 130 uh their standard down sack rate so for standard downs pass attempts like first and second down that goes up to 10.6%. That's actually 124th in college football. That's one of the bottom 5 rankings in college this year. Ohio so to just you know kind of put that in plain English if Justin Fields is dropping back on first or second down there's a over 10% chance he's going to get sacked this year. And, and whether you want to put that on the offensive line, which I really don't, or on Justin Fields, you know, holding the ball too long, which I, you know, that's, I think, where the most of that is coming from, uh, that would have you stand to believe that, you know, with the kind of defense Clemson plays, which is very dynamic, they they'll blitz the hell out of you if they know you can't really handle the pressure well. And I'm sure that uh, the defensive coordinator for Clemson is licking his chops right now watching Fields' games against Indiana and against Northwestern uh, a couple weeks ago. It, it makes me very nervous about if Ohio State has to throw to stay in this game because while I'm confident Fields is going to make a few plays to Olave and Wilson and you know the other names that we've got on the roster – I, I'm not very confident that they're going to be able to give Fields a clean pocket the whole game or that he's going to make the correct decision every time or the smartest decision every time. And I think that that's where the separation is going to start to come between these two teams. But again, if they build an early lead and they're putting themselves in a position where they don't have to throw as much, that issue doesn't become as apparent. And I think that Ohio State has an easier time finding a victory that way than if they have to throw a lot.
1: Yeah, and just building on that point, you know, Clemson's defensive line is very, very good. They're actually, as a team, they're number four in the country in sacks per game. They're averaging four per game. They had 44 total on the year through 11 games. So if the, these guys are strong. If you watch the ACC title game... Uh, Ian Book for Notre Dame, their quarterback, he was doing a lot of the Justin Fields thing where he was trying to run around in the backfield and make plays. And Clemson was having none of that. They were, they were bottling it up. They were making sure that he couldn't get to the outside to run around. They were, they were staying in his face so he couldn't find guys downfield. And you know it's it's something that I've seen Justin Fields try to do, and now having seen Ian Book try to do the same thing, it it wasn't even close to working. So Ohio State cannot afford to put themselves in that kind of scenario. And so that come, it comes back to what we talked about in the recap last week, where you know the play calling is going to have to change. If you're seeing a blitz like they're probably going to see from Brent Venables, you can't call these long developing play action pass plays. I would love to see this week. Um, Ohio State kind of used their tight ends more in the passing game, especially. I feel like they kind of abandoned Jeremy Rucker and Luke Farrell over the past few games. And I'd love to see, you know, just six to seven-yard passes to those guys and let them try to make plays, just pick up a few yards on first and second down. Not every play has to be a 25-yard passing play. You could pick up these chunk yardages, and if Clemson's going to blitz and they're going to send these linebackers, these dudes are going to be open. And Justin Fields has seemed kind of hesitant to hit his safety valves this year, whether it be just the running back or the tight end or whoever on the short routes. And I think they're going to have to really mix it up and do that this game. And maybe Ryan Day has kind of shied away from using that because he plans to attack Clemson that way and he just doesn't want it on film. And they just kind of went the whole year knowing they could avoid doing that and still win football games. And now they're going to deploy this more of a short passing offense and quick hitters. But... Either way, I think they're going to have to switch up from what they've done throughout the year, and a lot of it's what caused Justin Fields to have to hold on to the ball. When When the receiver, when it's a route that's designed to pick up 20 yards, you, you can't be running this against an all-out blitz. It's just not going to work against any team. So I do think we're going to have to see a game plan change this week, and I think that with this Clemson defensive line and just how good this defense is at creating pressure in miscellaneous ways, uh, we can't the Ohio State can't afford to be dropping Justin Fields back for, for 10 minutes every play. It's just not going to work.
0: It must be so frustrating to be a, an Ohio State tight end because they're 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 good. I, I mean, at all of the run block they only get used as run blockers or on like little underneath routes, or they they hardly ever catch passes beyond the first down marker. But they're they're on the field. Farrell and Ruckert are on the field all the time, and they're constantly making very very good blocks on a lot of these big running plays. Uh, Ruckert and Farrell, I think both and made key blocks that sprung Teague's 41-yard touchdown against Indiana. Ruckert and Farrell both had excellent blocks for Sermon on multiple plays against Northwestern last week. And you would think that Ryan Day or whoever would want to reward these guys, particularly guys like Ruckert that we know can catch. Uh, and it's just for whatever reason, we don't see it year over year. And I, I it's... It's one of the more frustrating things as an Ohio State fan, honestly, because we know that these guys are talented. And I just I, I was hoping that one of the things that we would see um, as we transitioned away from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day was a more flourishing role for tight ends in the passing game. Particularly, I always thought it was particularly weird with how much tight ends had success with Urban Meyer in Florida, that that didn't necessarily translate to Ohio State and you know now we're into the Ryan Day era and it doesn't really seem like much has changed in that regard i, I think that there the offense has you know improved in ways that we didn't necessarily see under urban that i like to see but that was something that I was really optimistic was going to happen. And through the first two seasons of Ryan Day, I just feel like it hasn't really materialized for whatever
1: reason. You want to hear a crazy stat that I just discovered? I would love looking into to this? hear a crazy stat. I was going to make a joke that I, I was going to say, you know, I feel like Jeremy Ruckert hasn't caught a pass since the Rutgers game. He quite literally hasn't caught a pass since the Rutgers game. Yep. Jeremy it. Ruckert has nine total catches on the season for 60 yards and three touchdowns. He had one catch in the season opener against Nebraska. He had four catches and two touchdowns against Penn State. And he had four catches and a touchdown against Rutgers. And he has not touched the ball since. That's nuts.
0: I, I'm not just saying it because he had that insane catch against Wisconsin in the in the Big Ten title game last year. But Ruckert might have more. Ruckert, I think, very easily has a top five pair of hands on the team. And the fact that he's not getting involved more and they're kind of just using him as a blocker when I think he's very – I think it's very clear he's a better receiver than a blocker, but he's still a very good blocker, it's 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 disheartening. I think he's going to be here ne- – he should be here next year, I believe, and Farrell, Farrell I think, is going to graduate. I really, really hope that next year he gets his time to shine if it doesn't come in this college football playoff because that guy is too talented for him to keep getting – you know, just game planned out of the offense the way that we've seen this year. It's, it's, it's Farrell, very disappointing.
1: Luke Farrell also has not caught a pass since the Rutgers game. And Jake Hausman's oh. <laughs> only catch of the season was in the Penn State game. So Ohio State has not thrown to a tight end since game three.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Well, that That's man. honestly nuts. Like, considering how good these guys are at catching passes, like you said, Jeremy Ruckert has some of the most sure hands on the team. And, and they haven't thrown to them in weeks.
0: Well... I've I've been harping on the point all year that I, I'm wondering if they haven't opened up the playbook as much as they like because they don't really want Clemson to get a sense of what they're actually going to do. So maybe this is the game where they finally let it all out. Uh, I, I you know there's there's no better time for it. It's it's win or go home. So I I would hope that we get to see it in this game. But yeah, certainly uh, certainly want to see more out of the tight ends uh, or at least more of them getting involved. Going forward, not just this season, but into the future. But in any event, we still we still like the Ohio State offense. It's still pretty good. There's you know there's guys to be happy about. Yeah, good they're they're all they right. Do.
1: They've got some they've got some <laughs> players over there. They do some things. You know, they got some five stars. They're all right.
0: What, who so you know we've talked a bit about the lines for both teams. So who who do you I guess, I guess if we're focusing on Ohio State, then do you think that the offense? Do you think Ohio State's offensive line is going to have an easier time dealing with Clemson's defensive line? Or would you say that Ohio State's defensive line is going to have an easier time dealing with Clemson's offensive line?
1: That's a good question. I think that um, in terms of lines, I think Ohio State has the better offensive line of the two teams. But then I think that Clemson has the better defensive line. So I kind of think it's strength on strength where... You know, both right. both sides are going to kind of struggle a bit because uh, Ohio State's defensive line hasn't been stellar, but they've been pretty good. Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togi especially, have been really good this season. Even Jonathan Cooper has had one of his best seasons at Ohio State. And so with, if Clemson's offensive line isn't playing at its best, those guys are going to wreak some havoc in the middle. But at the same time, I think that, you know, Ohio State's offensive line hasn't quite blocked uh, a team like Clemson yet this year. But the, those guys have looked really good. Uh, we saw in the Northwestern game some of their best run blocking of the season. And so if they can open up holes for Trey Sermon like that, it'll go a long way. But I I do think it's strength on strength when Ohio State has the ball, where it's Ohio State's offensive line trying to win in the trenches against Clemson's defensive line. I think that's going to be one of the key matchups in this game to watch. And I think if Ohio State's offensive line can look as good as they did, minus a few holding penalties against Northwestern, I think that gives Ohio State a good advantage in this game and something that could potentially win them the game in the long run if those guys have a big night, the front five.
0: I will say the weakest uh, position group Northwestern had on their defense, I think, was actually their defensive line. Their uh, their secondary was far and away the best part of uh, their game against Ohio State, but their linebacking core is very savvy, and I think that that was the biggest part of why they had a, a very good run defense this year before coming up against Ohio State. So, c- you know, coming off a game where Ohio State was able to maul a less impressive defensive line, it'll be interesting to see how they have to do when they – step it up against a, a caliber of of guys that are lined up directly opposite of them that they haven't necessarily had to go against this year. So it should be interesting. But I do – I I think I have to give the edge to Clemson. And the only reason that I give the edge to Clemson's offensive line dealing with Ohio State's defensive line is because we have not seen a consistent pass rush from Ohio State this season – for whatever reason, we we we've seen great uh, play on the internal part of the line from Tommy Togi and Haskell Garrett, but Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, for whatever reason, just haven't you know quite filled that hole that has been you know that Bosa sized hole that Chase Young sized hole that you know Ohio State's consistently had filled with an elite pass rusher for the last few seasons it just hasn't quite been there and i think that when you factor that into you know clemson's superior pass protection ability um i just think they're going to have an easier time mitigating ohio state's guys up front than um you know ohio state's going to have dealing with uh clemson's defensive line so i'm i'm not super optimistic about their ability to pass protect i've said that already this is one of the very few games where I would say Ohio State doesn't have the advantage in the trenches, and it is incredible because they they've had one of the best offensive lines in college football for the last two seasons. Um, it, it, so it's it's unfortunate that they're not going to have the advantage up front for this one, and I think it makes that game that you know it makes it all that much more closer, or you know that much more in favor of Clemson, depending on what your perspective is. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what goes on. One last question I want to ask for you is, um, you know, you briefly mentioned Jonathan Cooper kind of getting it more involved. Um, so that's one, you know, senior hybrid uh, defensive and linebacker type, I guess, that, you know, has been stepping up this year. Another guy that we saw have an absolutely stellar Big Ten championship was Justin Hilliard. Um and I, I'm curious if you think that we're going to see more of him in lieu of maybe tough Borland or if they're going to just try to get him more involved because he was, I mean, you know, we kept making the joke he was the best Justin on the field in the Big Ten championship game. But, I mean, he was really one of the, one of, if not the best defensive player for Ohio State in that game. And, you know, he, was, he, he really has not seen as many snaps this year as I think he should be given the play that we saw from him a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah, and he's what makes him so good is that he plays well in both aspects of the game. He was great in stopping the run and he was great against the pass. We saw him intercept a pass in the end zone in a huge drive to start the third quarter. That kind of changed the momentum of that game a little bit. And we also saw him make a bunch of plays in the backfield in the run game. And so he really killed it in all aspects. And, you know, if I was an Ohio State coach, I know my, I don't get a say, but. I think the best grouping of Ohio State's linebackers would be Baron Browning, Justin Hilliard, and Pete Werner. Now we don't really know the status of Baron Browning still. Ohio State isn't being very open and honest with their their Covid cases. I don't know if he's going to be one of the guys that are available. They've said they expect to have most of their guys back. I don't know if he's included in that most, So we can't say for certain, you know, who is available to play. But if all of those guys are healthy and ready to go, I think we should see a lot of Hilliard in this game just because of what he brings on both sides of the ball because if if Trevor Lawrence is going to be this dual-threat guy that you got to worry about the run, we've seen Tough Borland take some weird angles in the past on the run game. <laughs> and so it's I don't trust him, especially with his lack of speed, to be able to slow down Trevor Lawrence or make the right tackle and space on Trevor Lawrence. And I think if you have either Hilliard or Browning in the middle and the other one on the outside, that gives you a better chance at kind of slowing him down in the run game. And so, given that everybody's healthy, I'd love to see that grouping. But uh, from what we've seen in the past, I don't expect to see that. I do still expect to see, you know, they've kind of, what they've kind of done this year is they've had tough Borland in on the running downs, and then they've brought in someone else in the passing downs. And so, I'm sure we'll still see that if everyone's healthy. But, you know, we'll see if they mix things up. It's kind of hard. Ohio State hasn't really had enough games to. Uh, despite what Dabo Sweeney thinks, and that it's an advantage for Ohio State having less games, I think it's a disadvantage because they haven't gotten to you know kind of test out these groupings and see what they've got in different personnel groups. So uh, I think they're not really going to come out in a playoff game and and throw a new look at at a team. I don't I don't expect to see that at all. But I would like to see them kind of mix that in, especially on on some kind of second and long, third and long downs where they know there's a chance at a, a QB run. So it'll kind of eliminate that aspect but I do think that's their best linebacker grouping but I do think as a whole the linebackers have played pretty well this year so I think regardless of what happens uh, they can't really go super wrong in that regard I guess
0: You you do bring up an interesting point though about Browning's availability because if I if I think back to earlier in the week when Ohio State was posting practice photos there were people that were wondering about Olave and then one of the practice photos if you did a very enhanced zoom you saw the number 2 jersey and people were assuming Olave was back at practice and then today they posted a very high def picture of Olave at practice on the official Twitter account for OSU. And, you know, they they were kind of, you know, taking the piss at the fact that people were speculating if he was back or not. And they said, I think the caption was something along the lines of, this one's a little, this one's not as fuzzy as in like, hey, he's back. This is very clearly Olave at practice. But I haven't really seen the same treatment given to Barron Browning. So it, it, and that was, I think, the, you know other than Drew Chrisman, uh, <laughs> those were probably the biggest names uh, that were missing for Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. Although uh, Mr. Hoover filled in admirably for Drew Chrisman, I think most Ohio State fans would agree. So yeah, and uh,
1: while and while they weren't COVID related, I don't think uh, we also don't really know the status of guys like Marcus Hooker and uh, Ronnie Hickman. So that could play a role in the safeties. We don't really know what's going to happen. Ohio State is going to want to roll out a two safety formation most likely like they did last year on a team that likes to pass a lot so we don't really know who's going to be available there either we don't know if those are injuries that are still nagging we don't know if that was kind of contact tracing we don't really have a good idea of anything they're not like i said Ohio State is not fully transparent with their injury report and we won't know until friday morning so that could be another thing to look out for i expect all those guys to play but i don't know any more than you guys do so we'll see i guess
0: Alright, well that was all the questions I've got for you about the uh, how Clemson's offense is going to deal with Ohio State's defense. Uh, you got anything from me?
1: Yeah, I, I want to kind of hear your aspect. We kind of we touched on it earlier before, but what do you think, because Ohio State hasn't played an offense like Clemson that throws out of the backfield to the running back, so I'm, I'm assuming we'll see, you know, we saw a little bit in last year's game. We saw some screen passes. We saw, you know, just some, some hitch routes to the running back, some wheel routes out of the backfield. How do you expect Ohio State to respond to that? Do you think it'll be, you think they'll do a little bit more zone with the corners on the outside? Do you think it'll be a linebacker matched up in man? What do you Think is going to be Kerry Combs' kind of attack plan to take that out of the playbook for Clemson.
0: So I've been a little bit disheartened watching Combs this year, unfortunately, and the reason is I I, I hate and, and I mean I, I this was even before Greg Schiano, but I, I hate man coverage. I just absolutely hate it. I understand using it in game. I, Here's, here's the main reason that I, I really don't like man coverage. And it's that you I Michigan leaned on it for so long with Don Brown in the in these games where you, you know you've got clearly superior athletes to your opponent, and you know that you're just going to be able to bully them and follow them around the field wherever, and you're gonna be within a couple steps and always able to make a play on the ball when it's in the air. If you're confident in your athletes, that's great. Last year, Ohio State. Very, very, very much tried to get away from that because Shiano was – Greg Shiano, when he was here, was so adamant about man coverage. And then that Purdue game happened, and they just got absolutely embarrassed in front of everyone. Uh, And and it basically got shown why you can't do that. And Michigan proved it later on in the year when Ohio State ended up hanging 63 on them with uh, Haskins so i I absolutely hate man coverage and unfortunately we've gradually seen Ohio State play a little bit more and more of it this year last year they were almost doing exclusively zone uh, with with halfley for most of the year and I was absolutely enamored with that I, I think zone is always the the much better way you should be playing defense there's gonna be pockets there's gonna be holes in it obviously and you know you can't perfectly disguise every scheme that you're going to roll out there, but I think generally zone defense is something that's going to get you better results in terms of stopping the ball and slowing down the passing attack than if you're relying on your athletes to be superior athletes, particularly when you're playing another flagship program like Clemson. So I I think that the more man coverage Ohio State runs in this game, the less they stand to benefit from it. I don't think this is as talented of a receiving core as Clemson had last year. But they still have got two very talented guys in the backfield that are going to be able to put a lot of stress on the defense. And I don't think that manning a linebacker up against ATN is going to really pay benefit. Can you imagine? I want you to close your eyes and picture the nightmare that would be tough Borland trying to cover Travis ATN on a Texas route. Think yeah, about before, that. For before a you sec. even
1: like started the hypothetical, I knew where it was going and I immediately exactly. felt
0: sick to my stomach. So you you do not want that. You, so I, I, I cannot feel good about whatever man coverage we're going to see from them. Of course, the most egregious thing we saw was in the Indiana game when they were motioning receivers out to the edge and having linebackers like Browning follow them all the way out to the sideline and then just absolutely torched. Obviously, we've seen that corrected in subsequent games, but – I cannot feel good at all about this team playing man coverage. I want to see as much zone as I possibly can all day long. And you know what? They haven't played really exclusively zone in any game this year, at least from what I've seen. So maybe this is the game where they fully end up committing to that, particularly if if Clemson is having to throw to stay in the game or come from behind a little bit. I think they could probably feel better about that. Um, the, the I think the more interesting thing to see is going to be how how they decide to blitz because uh, they haven't had the blitz a ton, but they also but Ohio State also hasn't really been as effective with the blitz this year as I think they have been in years past. Just their, their ability to generate pass rush pressure has not been great. So I wonder, you know, how much in this game they're going to try sending things at Lawrence to make him feel uncomfortable versus, having guys hang back so that they can account for Lawrence if he runs and you know giving the the secondary and the guys covering the short part of the field a little bit of extra help in terms of stopping it. So in terms of what to I would expect them to do, I would expect them to play the football that's going to bring the most, you know, likely chance for victory. And from where I'm sitting, that's definitely them relying on zone coverage. So I'm hoping that we see almost exclusively zoned from the corners and the safeties all day and the linebackers. And God forbid we end up seeing Borland get, you know, manned up against any of their skill players, let alone Travis ATN. I don't even want to see Borland spying Trevor Lawrence. I, 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 I don't know what I would want to do out there, but I, I, I know I want to see Hilliard after the last game, but in any event um, I, I, that, that, is what they're going to need to lean on is zone coverage. So if you're seeing a lot more man in the early stages of the game, uh, this, this team is going to have problems, I think, for a lot of the day.
1: Yeah, my main problem this year hasn't even been so much with the idea of man coverage. I just think I think they've kind of had to run that out of necessity just because they don't have a lot of experience in the secondary zone is something that's a that's lot a good point. harder to focus on. And when they had guys last year like Okuda and Arnett that had played a lot of football, it was a lot easier for them to run the zone. This year where they have first-year starters like Banks and Williamson, it's a lot harder to get that implemented. I think that's just kind of been why they've done it. But my problem comes when they're not playing a press. If you're going to play man, you got to play press man. And when they're giving these dudes six, seven, eight yards off the line of scrimmage, you're going to get torched so they they can't run that out as well but just switching over to the other side of the ball for a minute how worried are we about uh justin Fields' thumb he kind of said you know they they asked him about it whether it was yesterday or today and he kind of just gave a one sentence answer he said i'll be good to go by friday i don't really know what that means but uh I, should we be concerned about that well, what, do you, what do you think about that moving in this is gonna be the second second year in a row where justin fields has been not 100 percent heading into the clemson game
0: So refresh my memory. When did he get hurt during the Northwestern game? I think it was late, but it might have been earlier than that.
1: Yeah, no, it was late. It was on, he was running out of the sideline and he kind of like tripped over the pylon and like hit into a guy and like hit hurt his thumb on the, I think he hurt it on the ground. I don't know if he hurt it on the contact, but it was pretty late. I think he only threw a couple passes after that because it was in mid of the Trey Sermon, just murdering people. But, um, yeah, I don't think he threw too many passes after that. You could definitely see him on the field, like between plays, like shaking it and then clear discomfort. But uh, then nothing's broken. They, they obviously would have, we probably would have known that by now if it was a serious injury and he wasn't going to play. He's obviously going to play. And I don't think they'd, like, put him in a position to fail if he wasn't, like, good to go. But um, uh, how worried should we be in the passing game, especially with how he looked last game, even before the injury?
0: Well, I will say this. I don't, I don't know lo- a lot about playing quarterback, but I do know a little bit about throwing the football because when they taught me to play center in high school, they literally taught me to do it as if I was just throwing a foot. My quarterback taught me how to throw a football because I hadn't really learned how to do it at home. Um, and He taught me to throw between the legs. And when you're doing it and you're bringing your – the most important elements are your your shoulder. I mean, your it's a whole body process, but your feet, your shoulder – your arm, and then when you're getting the spin on it, you're really doing more of the spin with your four fingers than you are your you are your thumb. The thumb's really more just kind of meant to balance it. So in terms of kind of just getting that tight spiral, obviously you want to have a healthy hand. But I, I would say the other four fingers in this case are a little bit more important for you know just having that control of the ball that you need rather than the thumb. Hopefully the thumb doesn't flare up and irritate him because I could see how that could you know be it could present some issues but i think he's had two weeks to recover from that he probably doesn't even want to think about it it might be giving him a little bit of discomfort at this point and he just doesn't even want to focus on that being an issue for him which would explain his short answer to being asked about it um i'm not terribly concerned just from you know thinking about it you know from a rational perspective as well as the kind of player fields is I, I, the best moment of Justin Fields' career so far was when he got hurt in the Michigan game and then came back in with the knee brace and threw the touchdown pass within like two two snaps of coming back in when we were worried we weren't going to see him again the rest of the year. So he's a tough guy. He's a competitor. He's going to grind through it. Um, if he was able to slog through that knee injury at the end of the year last year, I, I think that he can probably handle dealing with a little stinger on his thumb.
1: Yeah, I, I think it'll be much less of a detriment than that knee was. He, he said since then that, like, leading up to that Clemson game, it was he could barely walk around campus. His knee was hurting him so bad. And we oh, saw wow. in that game how, how just hesitant he was to run the football. So I think that knee was way more of a problem than the thumb would be. But just well, hitting on one more thing on the offense, and then maybe we'll start to wrap up here. How do you think Ryan Day is going to come out in this game? We saw last year they came out super aggressive, throwing the football. Garrett Wilson made that crazy catch over the Clemson defender. Do you, do you think we'll see more of that, where he'll try to attack early on? Or do you think we'll see more of the, now that they've found a ground game? Do you think we'll see more of a a Trey Sermon, Master Teague show early on to try to kind of open up that play action passing game? What do you think the the opening game plan will be like to try to soften up the Clemson D a little bit?
0: I I think you in one of our earlier shows, it may have been the last one, it may have been the one before the Big Ten Championship, but you alluded to the fact that when Ohio State has not been able to get good yards on early running downs in this game in games this year. They've been just way too eager to jump right away into trying to throw the ball, and I think that maybe they didn't feel as comfortable about their running back situation earlier in the year. I know that the offensive line, you know, as good as it is, it is now was not playing nearly as well in the earlier stages in the season as a unit uh, relative to what we saw last weekend. Um, but I, I would hope, particularly after the sermon. or Sermon doing well in the Big Ten Championship, that we see them commit to the ground game early. And the reason that that's important is last year, the way that this team had the majority of its its success through the year was on play action. A lot of their big plays were just from setting up these, these ground and pound consistently give to Dobbins and he's chunking it for five, six, and then maybe he rips off a 10 for a first down and another, you know, four yard, right. He just keeps getting these chunks and he's, he's built like a bowling ball and it's, it's really annoying. And then, you know, they they get a little bit overcommitted to trying to stop him from getting a nice another little chunk gain and fields still has the ball on play action and he's just able to get it really nice over the top to, you know, whether it was K.J. Hill last year, uh, Chris Olave, uh, they were they did a really, really excellent job last year of uh, getting the ball um, out on play action and getting it set up with um, very good running plays. So I think that that's going to be the same key this year. We saw that earlier in the year, Ohio State had a much be- they were doing a much better job, particularly in the first game with Nebraska. They're running a lot more play action and running it a lot more, a lot better, I think. They haven't, we haven't really seen it as much. So I, I would think that the fact that it hasn't been as much of an emphasis and the fact that we've seen last year how good it has been for this team. The ideal way for Ohio State to set themselves up for victory on the offensive side of the ball in this one is commit to sermon early, make the defense respect that. And one thing that I have noticed about Clemson's linebackers is that they are very eager to sell themselves out when they think it's a run. And it's not even to the point that they diagnose where the run is going and they try. They just sprint straight into the middle of the line and try to blow th- stuff up with reckless abandon. And, you know, sometimes that works. And usually when your opponent isn't, you know, as physically matched to to meet with you in that regard, it's, it's going to bring benefits. But there were plenty of things that I saw on instances I saw on film where that kind of selling out ended up being more of a detriment to them and ended up opening holes. That was even apparent last year in the Clemson game when with the two biggest runs that J.K. Dobbins had, his touchdown run, and then another one that went for somewhere around 50 yards that uh, didn't go into the end zone and ended up setting up a field goal. So if they commit to Sermon early and then they start sprinkling in the play action... I think that that's going to set them up for a lot of early game success. The question is going to be, once Clemson adjusts, what kind of counter adjustments is Ryan Day going to make at halftime? Because in, in years past, this team has been excellent at making halftime adjustments. And if there is one thing that I've really been missing relative to previous seasons in this season it's that this team has not been a second-half team by any means. They've been a first-half team all year up until the game against Northwestern last week, and they've been playing their best ball early and then slowly just kind of waiting for the game to end. If this team saves their best ball for last, and if the coaching staff is you know ready to make adjustments on the fly as they need to, I think you're going to have a much, much better Better chance at a positive outcome for Ohio State than you would otherwise.
1: If I was to set the over/under on Justin Fields' rushing attempts at 15, are you going over low, low, or under? Lower,
0: lower, lower, easy. I I don't think he's had. I think the Penn State game last year might be the only game where he had more than 15 rushing attempts. Correct. I would be shocked if we see more than 15. So if you're set, if you're setting the line, <laughs> I'll I'll take that prop on the low very easy. You are one hundred
1: percent correct. He had twenty one against Penn State last year. It's the most he's had uh, at Ohio State. He's uh, done fifteen. It. He's done fifteen twice this year. He did it against Nebraska okay. and against Indiana. But he's averaging okay. around eleven. Right. Okay.
0: So yeah, I, I, you know, Nia is a little bit more spry. You know, so in that sense, maybe Clemson isn't really thinking of him as much as a rusher just because of what they had to deal with last year. Again, they're. The four defensive linemen are back, but the the guys behind them those are those are all new guys. So it's they're you know kind of learning Fields fresh. Um, but again, Fields hasn't been a super aggressive rusher outside the red zone. So maybe now that his knees a little bit better place, I I'm sure that he's aware that this is going to be the most tremendous challenge he's had in terms of pressure. Maybe he knows he's got to run a little bit more and just kind of take what the defense gives him rather than trying to hold out to make the best play that he possibly can. Um, that would be great to see. I don't doubt that he can do it. He has been one of the most talented passers that we've seen at Ohio State. Um, you you were prepared a couple weeks ago to call him the greatest Ohio State quarterback of all time, and I'm wondering if you feel the same way after that Big Ten championship, but I will certainly not concede that Fields is nothing less than one of the most talented guys I've seen play in a Buckeye uniform, and I think that he's going to make the necessary adjustments to his game to keep Ohio State uh, competitive in this one.
1: Yeah, he may need to at least win a playoff game at this point to <laughs> maybe take home that <laughs> honor. But either way, I, I do think that we could see maybe a little bit more running from Justin Fields early just as to try to, you know, just as another wrinkle to add in Clemson's mind and kind of maybe take the, the pressure and put some pressure on their blitzing and maybe make them think twice about blitzing if Justin Fields is kind of beating them around the edge or beating them up the middle and they have guys just running past the play on too many blitzes. I could definitely see Ryan Day dialing that up now that Ohio State has, you know, a max of two games left. They're not going to try to, you know, they're obviously not going to try to put Justin Fields in a spot to get hurt, but it's obviously much less of a concern now with the season almost over. Um I think you could see them kind of open him up a little bit, let him kind of do his thing. We saw it against Michigan State a little bit. He he even his he wasn't running a lot, but his runs were big runs. And so, especially in the red zone where Ohio State struggled last year, I definitely think we could see Justin Fields holding the ball more. I think Ohio State's best red zone offense is when Justin Fields is running the ball on these read option plays and just on you know even designed QB runs. He seems like he is able to make the play and get at the end zone more often than not. So I do think we mm-hmm. could see more Justin Fields running than we've seen this season but I do think somewhere around 15 is probably the cap for him. I don't think they're
0: going to run him 20, 25 times in this game. Yep, it'll uh it'll be interesting to watch. They definitely have had uh they've they've emphasized giving Fields his rushing touches. When it's it, it's so funny. As soon as they get in the 20, I mean, it, they could be on the 19 and the first play is almost always going to be a read option or you know fields will it, it, they'll they'll run a pass play from you know it'll be on the 18 or 19 yard line and he'll he'll roll out back to the left and then he's had so many of those this year where he drops back and then just kind of flips around where the left tackle is coming in from and then just kind of scampers into the end zone gives a little move at the end or dives over a little spin uh it's always been he he's he's very good at rushing out of a pass situation when he's in the red zone when he knows that he doesn't really have to navigate the open field and he just has to kind of get to the spot in the end zone i think he's got a little bit more confidence in himself as a rusher than you know when he's just kind of in his own territory or you know starting to threaten to get past the 50 so it'll be i i think that we'll probably see more than 10 carries not including sacks um because sacks obviously count as uh rushing attempts at college football unfortunately for quarterbacks but uh yeah, I would be I would be stunned if we see more than 15, but I definitely would not think it's uh, far-fetched to suggest that we see double digits for fields. All right, you want to do a quick uh score preview before we wrap up? Oh, dude, oh man. Uh maybe you should go first cuz I don't think people are going to be happy with mine. Uh
1: I'm, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on a limb. I am going to take Clemson with the points betting-wise just because I'm the biggest mush in the world, and if I bet on Clemson, chances are they'll lose. And then even if Ohio State loses, I win money, so it's a, it's a, it's a lose-win, but it's win a, kind hedge. of a win-win. Yeah, it's an emotional hedge for sure. I don't actually want them to win, obviously, but it wouldn't hurt to make some money off it if I'm going to be upset anyway. But I'm going to say that Ohio State wins 35-31, I think wow. that they have all the external motivation they could possibly need. If you can't get your team motivated for this game, I don't know what you're doing. They have had all this negative hate from pretty much every place across the country. Nobody believes in them. The, the media doesn't believe in them. Dabo's talking his crap. The other team doesn't even think that they have a chance. It's just like It seems like no one in the country believes in Ohio State could win this game. Everyone's already penciling in the Alabama-Clemson national title. And I think just that little bit of extra fuel... Helps them out. I think we see good Justin Fields. Uh, I don't think we get the Indiana or the Northwestern version of Justin Fields. I think he is super motivated to play in this game. And I think it, it's gonna come down to uh the last drive again, but this time Ohio State scores.
0: That would be that that would be a very poetic redemption. And uh I, I really hope that it happens that way because this this is certainly the most important football game of Justin Fields' life. Um, I'm sure he understands that it's, it's, I mean, it's very obvious. I think, I think most players would tell you the latest game that they've played in their life is probably the most important, particularly when it's in the postseason. Um, but there's, there's a lot, I think that's at stake here. I think that if he does well in this game and then well in the national championship, regardless of what happens, he's definitely got a lot more impressive of a NFL draft stock than if he were to just outright lose this game and not really do well against the pressure. You know, when you add that on top of this stupid Haskins narrative that's emerging about Ohio State quarterbacks this week, um it just kind of all doesn't bode well for his draft stock and you know maybe lends to him coming back next year so that he can improve it, but I would hope that he gets to have his redemption moment particularly facing off against not only Trevor Lawrence who beat him last year, but you know Trevor Lawrence who he really competed alongside in Georgia for you know that rank as the best high school quarterback in the nation all the way growing up it's really it's a story that i think it's pretty incredible doesn't really get emphasized as much and maybe that's just because fields hasn't really been able to hit back but if he can pull this one out that would just be an incredible story and i think would really really it would just be super poetic and honestly I I feel like this is the national championship for Ohio State more than an actual national championship would be, just for me personally. I'm sure that the players don't feel that way, but just with the fact that this team has never beaten Clemson, we spoke a bit before we actually jumped on the pot about the the weird relationship that Clemson fans have with Ohio State and how it's like, oh, it's not a rivalry, but we love, you know taking the piss at you whenever we can because, you know, even though you're not in the conference, they just kind of irrationally don't like Ohio State fans for some reason. It would really, really be great to see this game result in a win. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. That uh, You are what your transcript says you are, and at this the pass protection this year, just whether, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel good about Fields' ability to deal with the kind of blitzes he's going to see. I mean, Clemson's, the the blitz schemes that he's going to see are going to be comparable to that, I think, of an NFL scheme. They're going to be complicated. They're going to be blitzing him from both sides of the edge, overloading different parts of Ohio State's line, sending the house in some obvious situations and less obvious situations. Fields just has not been able to handle that well in the games this year. And uh, I I don't I haven't seen enough that tells me he's going to be able to do that well. I think Ohio State's going to get most of their scoring on big plays. I think Trey Sermon's going to have a good game. I I think he's going to post 100 rushing yards again. I don't expect him to get above 300 like he did in the Big Ten Championship, but I would expect him to have one big scoring play. You know, maybe from like 40 or so more yards out. Couple of big passing plays from fields where they beat an overly aggressive Clemson defense, but I don't really see them getting a lot of really good, sustained drives um, unless Day is going to firmly commit to the run. And he just hasn't done that this year. I would love to see it in this game, but we've just seen too much of an eagerness to default back to the pass when it doesn't go exactly as they want it to on the ground. And for that reason, I expect Clemson to score at least 30 points. I'm going to plan it at 31 for them, and I'm going to say that they win this game, 31 to 21, and Ohio State goes home sad. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: I mean, based on everything we've seen this year, I, I, it wouldn't be a shock, you know. Obviously, Clemson's played very well. They've played more games. They're more seasoned. Ohio State. Uh, They keep saying they haven't played their best football yet. And if that's the case, then maybe they're able to play that finally best football game in this game and then come away with the W. But if they play like we've seen them play in some of these bigger games, it's probably not going to happen. But we'll, we'll have to wait
0: and see. That's why they play the games, you know? I'm, I'm going to be cheering my heart out, though. Believe it. I, I want it so bad. I, I Nothing would make me happier than to see Dabo. That If they lose this game, that Dabo post-game press conference is going to be appointment television. I, I am going to – I'll make sure it's DVR'd. I'll watch it three times over the next morning. Nothing will make me happier than to watch that guy squirm after all the crap he's talked this week and all season and all the dumb stuff he's said throughout 2020 on a whole range of topics, nothing would be funnier than to watch him have to sulk and give credit where credit's due to Ohio State. You already feel like he begrudgingly had to say, oh, they could beat anybody this week. When it came out, he ranked them 11th in the poll. So I'm – I'm very, very, very much hoping that this ends up working out in Ohio State's favor, and I'm not writing them off entirely, but I think if this game plays out the way that it, it's, it should, based on what we've seen this year, that Clemson's going to win. But if we see things that we haven't seen from Ohio State this year that we know they're capable of, I think that you, I would give the advantage to Ohio State.
1: I am going to be so insufferable on Twitter if Ohio State wins this football game. There's gonna be so many tweets about being the eleventh best team in the country and lots of dabbo stuff. There's gonna be some Photoshops, there's gonna be t-shirts, it's gonna be great.
0: Imagine making the college football playoff and losing to the eleventh best team in the country.
1: Oh, it's 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 gonna be all over the place. I can't wait. I need I need it. I need it.
0: It's 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 gonna be an emotional one. It's uh it's a very important game. Uh, I, I I don't want to think about the aftermath of a loss. I, I, you know, it's there's there's a lot riding on this game for uh, much more. I think for Ohio State's program, I think than Clemson. Um, But you do have to imagine it would be a really sour way for the Lawrence ATN era to end on a loss, and that would be. Really, really awesome if Ohio State could redeem themselves and uh, be the one that closes that chapter of college football. So I hope we get to see it.
1: Yeah, you'd you'd, you'd hate to see it. You'd hate to see it. You know,
0: you just hate it. <laughs> I I hope someone makes a GIF of. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that South Park episode where where. Uh, Cartman is is licking the tears of his enemy at the end. He's like, oh, the tears of unfathomable sadness. They're so yummy. I would be doing that to dabble all day at that post-game press conference.
1: (laughs) Ohio State. Ohio State Twitter is going to be incredible if they win this football game. I cannot wait. People are very creative and smart, and I'm very, I'm looking forward to it. Even in, you know, I'm sure during the game there's gonna be lots of tweets. Ohio State's gonna have one bad play, and everyone's gonna freak out. But if if there is a, a win at the end of this tunnel, the, the celebration on social media is going to be something unforeseen. It's gonna look like we won the national title for sure.
0: And it's, an, and it's New Year's Day, so people are going to have plenty of their time on their hands to dedicate to ridiculing Clemson a Davos. So we would love to see it, but obviously uh, it goes both ways with that too. So I'm sure all the Clemson faithful are going to have a field day if my prediction comes to fruition. But I hope I'm wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Um, I would say that you've generally been more on the money with these score predictions than I have this season. So if you're if you're listening and you want to go with the optimistic way, you know, keep that in mind. Gene seems to have a better pension for seeing how these are going to go than me. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that that you know we've we've covered good ground with this. Uh, I think that's probably a good place to stop. Uh, hopefully they win. I, I believe we'll probably have a recap pod for you either way. If they lose, I imagine we probably won't want to spend too much time lamenting or mourning the loss. But we we'll, we'll we should have something for you uh, on on Sunday going over uh, the the aftermath of the game and uh, hopefully if there's a win involved, knock on wood, what to expect against Alabama because we all know that Notre Dame doesn't have a puncher's chance of winning that football game. Uh, Just look at the 2013 National Championship if you need any more evidence. But in any event, we will be back in your ear on Sunday and uh, we want to thank you all very much for listening all season and what's been a uh, tumultuous Ohio State football season. Certainly the wackiest of my lifetime for A myriad of bizarre reasons, but it's been fun in its own way. The Ohio State Buckeyes are Big Ten champions and they're in the college football playoff and they'll have a shot at redemption and uh, we'll all get to see it on New Year's Day. So, uh, hope you all had a Merry Christmas or a Happy Holiday and enjoy your New Year's celebrations. Celebrate responsibly. And for Hangout in the Holy Land and Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Go Bucks, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon, hopefully with good news. Take care, folks. We'll see you all in 2021.